something that we maybe didn't even expect coming in here this morning. We ask that you would use your word to um, sharpen us, uh, change us, transform us, conform us to the image of Christ. Uh, We don't want to leave these doors with the same exact questions, same exact hesitation, same exact hang-ups, same exact distance from you. Uh, We want to leave these doors having those things resolved, having some progress in our maturity in Christ. So uh, we ask that you would use this passage to work that in our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, If you need a Bible... As always, just slip your hand up and we'll make sure that we bring one to you. We want to make sure you're there with us when we turn to Scripture. We're going to turn to uh, a pretty popular passage um, this morning. And the passage centers on uh, the greatness of need. What, when, when, you're, when you're needy, uh, it, it highlights for you the demand for the supply, Right? When there's not a demand for the supply, the supply is not really appreciated. When there's a great demand for it, there's a big hole, there's a big gap, then the demand goes up. That's true for economics. That's true for if you're looking at your baseball card collection, which one is worth more than the other. Uh, It's true for hobbies, but it's true spiritually as well. Um, So I want to turn your attention to Mark chapter 6. It's a long chapter, so yes, we're still in chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, we see a couple of needs, and actually it starts with the need that we see in Christ and his disciples, which is great to identify with them. Jesus was human. Jesus was a, a man. He had needs. You remember he sent his apostles out, the 12 disciples, he sent them out and they were preaching the gospel and casting out demons and healing people. Then they came back in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So what is the thing that they need? Rest. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. Have you ever been that busy? I haven't eaten all day. It's been nonstop. Well, it's been like that for them for a while. Verse 32, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. If you ask yourself, why are they always hopping in the boat? Do they just love the water? Well, I think he's taking advantage of the fact that a few of them were were career fishermen. But think about uh, your celebrities, Okay? When they're at a mall, at a store, there's people taking pictures, selfies with them, uh, uh, crowding them, and they escape into their tinted-out bulletproof limo. Well, they didn't have that, so they used the boat. How else do you get away from a crowd? They walk over here, the crowd goes there, right? And so they'd use the boat to escape, and why are they jumping the boat now? Because they want to get away to what he said, a desolate place. Let's go where there's no people. Let's go to like a field or something, you know, where there's no crowds. Not because we don't love people, but because we need a break. If we don't eat and rest, we're not going to have energy to keep up this ministry. Um, 
And so they get in the boat to go away to, away to a desolate place by themselves. <clears throat> they need to be alone. They need rest. This is a human need for those of you who are a workaholics. This is a human need. Jesus needed it. Don't try to one-up Jesus. Take a break. So they went away by themselves into the boat to go to a desolate place. Verse 33, that's a trip. Now many saw them going and recognized them. There they are. There they are. These are the, the fan clubs, right? They know Jesus is a source of healing. I'd be in that crowd too. Any of you with an illness or relative that you want healed, you'd be chasing Jesus down too. Think of how people chase pop stars that really do nothing for you. What do they do for you? Nothing. But their posters are up. You have all their albums and lyrics memorized. Imagine Jesus who actually is performing things of value for people like relieving sicknesses, casting out demons, offering forgiveness in ways that the temple, the temple, the synagogues could not. Many saw them going, verse 33, and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. <laughs> now, we're not sure why, how people on foot can possibly run around the lake and get there before them, but maybe they, Jesus and his disciples stopped. Um, maybe they took the long way. We're not sure. Mark isn't giving us details. But verse 34 says, when he went ashore, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Now, what would be your response there? You're trying to get away from the crowd. Right? Yeah, back in the boat. Go the other way. This is not a good idea. That'd be my response. He saw the great crowd and he had compassion on them. He didn't think of his own need, but now he's thinking of their need because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. He sees a lost group of people. He sees people that have a need. And yes, he has a need, but he sacrifices his need to meet their need. That's Jesus' MO. Is he tireless? Does he not need sleep? No, we already saw him sleeping through a storm, right? A couple chapters ago. Of course he's tired. Of course he's um, at the end of his rope, so to speak, physically but he sees this crowd, and what drives him to minister to them is not that he's a glut for punishment, it's because he has compassion on them, and he notices that they are like sheep that lack a shepherd. I've never been a shepherd, I don't know a whole lot about sheep from personal experience, but from everything I've ever been told about sheep is that they cannot fend for themselves. They can't defend themselves, they don't have claws, they don't have fangs, they don't know where to eat, they don't know how to eat. They don't know where to go to eat. They can't find their way back home. They, they literally need constant shepherding. So this is the state of the crowd, and the focus of the story moves from his need and his disciples' need to theirs. Maybe he had to explain some of that to the disciples when he actually told the disciples, let's go ashore. And they're like, Are you, what, what happened to go to a desolate place? <laughs> Guys, these people need a shepherd. We can go a few more hours without a meal. He began to teach them many things. And I love that Mark always brings the focus. He, just, he wasn't just a miracle worker who just kind of healed everybody. His focus was teaching all the time. What do the sheep actually need? 
Do they, need, do, do, do they get healings? Sure. But he's there to teach them the gospel, to bring them this message of forgiveness so that they can solve their eternal need. Then in verse 35, it says, When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. It's not desolate because it's lacking people, because the crowds are there. It's desolate because it's lacking food. <laughs> it's lacking restaurants. It's lacking the marketplace where you can go and get bread and rice and, and fish. There's, there's nowhere to go to eat. We're in the middle of nowhere. If any of you have ever taken a road trip and you drive and your only hope is a rest stop with a vending machine with chips in it, you kind of get the feeling. There's nowhere to eat. And so it grew late. The disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is late. Verse 36, send them away to go into the country, to surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, if I were one of the 12, I probably would have said something similar. But what I would have been thinking was, I need to eat. We were originally supposed to go somewhere and rest and relax and recuperate and eat, and, and I'm hungry. Unless one of the reasons why they delayed and the crowd was able to beat them is they fished in the middle of the lake and maybe they ate raw fish. I don't know what they did. But they must be starving. They're tired. Verse 38, and he said to them, Jesus said, responded to his disciples, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five, five loaves, and two fish. Out of the whole crowd, this is what they came up with. Five loaves of bread. And you can't think like Wonder Bread or French baguettes. These are like little flat cakes. And then two fish. Two roasted fish, pickled fish. I don't know. Commentators differ. It doesn't really matter. Two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Now, could you imagine that scene for a second? You've got, let's see, at the end of verse 44, 5,000 men. That's just the men. And you've got the women. And then, of course, you're sure they have children. So what, what is it? 12,000, 15,000, 20,000? We're not sure. It's a lot of people. Imagine a small, like a minor league baseball stadium packed, right? And Jesus is standing there with this little tray, this little cloth maybe, with five little cakes and two fish, and he lifts his eyes up and he's doing the prayer of blessing, like we're going to eat. Now, I don't know if people are thinking he's going to share, but how do you share five little cakes and two fish with 15,000 people? I don't know if it looks like he's just about to eat in front of them. But I'm not sure they know what's coming. He takes the two fish and he takes the five loaves and he divides it among the first few. All of them. How? How is that possible? It's not humanly possible. That's the point. Nobody saw this coming. No one expected this. The disciples didn't even think, you know what? You've calmed storms. You touch leprosy and it disappears. You have the power to forgive sins. Maybe you can make bread out of bread. No, they're not thinking that. They're totally blind to the possibility. 
This is so common to those of us who grew up in Sunday school and we hear the stories and we've seen the pictures and Jesus smiling and passing out bread. I mean, it's just commonplace. There's nothing common about this story. He takes this tiny little lunch from this kid we learn from other Gospels. It was a boy's lunch. Some mom packed a lunch for his kid and the kid's like, oh, I guess I'm giving it up. Right? And Jesus multiplies a boy's lunch that's how you know how small the bread was. You wouldn't pack five, five Sara Lee Wonder Bread loaves for your kid for lunch, right? These are small. And he breaks this up over the thousands and thousands of people. How does he do it? He breaks, he, how does he do it? He breaks them up into groups. Uh, and once he breaks them up into groups, he has the disciples, the 12 disciples, start passing these things out. And verse 42, and they all ate and were satisfied. And you got to think, some people in the crowd are going to be those people that they eat a couple bites and they're like, oh, I'm so full. I'm not one of those. I can eat, right? So if it's a buffet, keep the trays coming. And it must have been tasty. They were completely satisfied. They took as much as they want, wanted and they were full. And then at the end of it, verse 43, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So you have the 12 apostles that were using these baskets to hand food out. And after everyone was totally full, no more raised hands, no more Mimi, that's it. Everyone's full, wiping the crumbs out of their beards and stuff. And each apostle has a basket full of leftover. Nobody even wants it. That's a miracle, obviously. And then Mark moves immediately on to another episode, which seemingly uh, doesn't immediately connect, but it does connect. But the need is switched. We're going back to the need of the disciples. <clears throat> Verse 45 is a clue, immediately. He doesn't want you to skip a beat. He wants you to go straight from 44 to 45. Next story, because it relates. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. You guys get in the boat, you go over there, and while you're doing that, I'm going to just tell people, go back to your homes, nothing more to see here, I'm leaving. So now Jesus is without the boat, the disciples are trying to cross in their boat. Verse 46, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus goes up to the mountain, he gets that desolate place that he needs, that time alone with the Father that he needs, that he's, that he's wanting. And then verse 47, and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, right? Because he sent his ride away, obviously. And verse 48, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. So maybe he sees them from the shore, just like the crowd in the previous story was able to see them from the shore and recognize who they were and presumably recognize where they're headed and then run on foot and try to get there before them, Jesus is looking out and he sees the disciples um, trying to make headway against a gale. And so the boat was out on the sea. He was out alone on the land. In verse 48, he sees they were making headway painfully. The Greek word behind painfully is tormentedly. They're struggling at the oars to get this boat moving. And he sees their great need. They're trying to move forward. They can't move forward. For the wind was against them. 
And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. So that's between 3 and 6 a.m. The, the, the way the Romans did it was break the, day up into, break the night up into four watches. So sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus comes to them. Well, how does he come to them? He gets in a boat, walking on the sea. Wait a minute, that's not possible. Exactly. So he walks on the sea. What is that like? Is the wind affecting him? Uh, are his feet sloshing in the water? Is he floating above? We don't know. Mark isn't trying to give us details so that we can try to recreate the thing. You can't recreate it because he's Jesus. After he had taken leave of them, he went, oh, that's verse 44, uh, at the fourth watch of mine, he meant to pass them by at the end of verse 48. He's walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Come back to that in a moment because I don't know about you. That's really interesting. He was just going to be like, what's up, guys, and keep walking? <laughs> That's pretty strange. Verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. They cried out in terror. There's different kinds of crying out. You can cry out a hello. You can cry out a how's it going? You can cry out in pain, but they cried out in terror. What do you call that? A shriek? Twelve grown men? Ah! That's what's happening. They cried out, for they saw him, and they were terrified. They thought they were seeing a ghost. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Not the first time that's happened. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Did you catch the connection? It doesn't say they, they were astounded and they didn't understand about walking on the water. They were astounded, they didn't understand how he can possibly not get knocked over by waves. Was he on a sandbar? Is he wearing like cork shoes? Like, what is he wearing? What is he doing? No, they were utterly astounded because they didn't understand about the loaves. The loaves that he broke and fed the people with. And the reason why they didn't understand about the loaves was because their hearts were hardened. So you can see that on first glance, you got two stories. Jesus is breaking bread and, and dividing up fish and feeding a multitude of people. And then in the next story, he's walking on the water. He means to pass by the disciples, but he hears their shrieking. And then he turns and comes in the boat. The water is calm. The wind stops. No more need for the intense, tormented rowing. And they're utterly astounded because they didn't understand the baskets full of leftover bread. So Mark is waving a big flag. I want you to see it. When I went into verse 45, I explained that this is really the same story. This is now Jesus gets into the boat. He's dismissing the crowd. The disciples are going ahead. Jesus finally gets the desolate rest that he wanted back up in verse 30. And they misunderstand him because they didn't understand the loaves. So what we see here is a passage that's about Jesus meeting needs, there's this need for rest. He sacrifices his need for rest to meet the needs of the crowd. And then he goes onto the water and sees the need of the disciples 
for relief, rest from striving against the wind in the boat. And he comes and relieves them from the stress and grants them rest. He granted rest on the grassy fields by providing food to those who were starving. And he provides relief and rest to the disciples on the boat. So they're completely connected. And so some of the things that we want to look at to say, okay, what is it about the loaves that they didn't get? Some of the highlights that we see here are uh, their extreme hunger. These people are in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing to eat. That's obvious, right? If you were to write down your top five things that you can easily notice about this passage, that would probably be one of them. There's hunger. That's the great need. And then we see that Jesus sees their great need and describes it using a metaphor of sheep needing a shepherd. That's how he describes their need. They're like sheep that don't have a shepherd. They're in trouble. Then when he goes to feed them, he divides the crowd into fifties and hundreds. And then he gives them bread to satisfy them. And after he gives them bread to satisfy them, he goes up on a mountain to pray. Now, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, and you would ask yourself, when was there a time? And then, of course, there's the 12 baskets, missing one. There's 12 baskets representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus meets the needs such that there's 12 baskets overflowing or full, which presumably represents, has something to do with the 12 tribes of Israel. So when did you have 12 tribes of Israel in a desolate place that were really hungry, that were described as sheep without a shepherd, where the leader divided them into crowds and gave them bread till they're full? And then when did the leader go up to a mountain? Well, Exodus, Numbers, Moses, and we see the same things. They are rescued out of Egypt and they're brought into a wilderness. In this wilderness, there's nothing to eat, so they complain about hunger. Even when he gives them bread, they complain that they don't have meat. You remember that one? That's in Numbers 11. And in Numbers 11, Moses, he's exasperated. Angry, the Lord is angry that they're complaining that bread is not enough and they want meat. Moses is upset that they're complaining that bread is not enough and they want meat. But Moses is exasperated by it, and the Lord isn't. And Moses goes to the Lord, Numbers 11, he's like, God, why are you strapping me with these people? There's, there's, nothing is ever going to be enough. Now they want meat. If we were even able to get, gather all the fish out of the sea, would that even be enough for these people? How many herds and, and cattle do we have to slaughter to try to satisfy these people? It's not possible. And then the Lord's response to Moses is, is, is my arm shortened? Which is an idiom for saying, are you saying there's something I can't reach? Are you saying there's a problem I can't solve? Are you saying there's a need that I can't meet? You go back and tell them the Lord is going to meet this need. And that's when the quail come and drop in their laps. You might remember in Exodus 18, Moses divides the crowd into hundreds and fifties and tens. And then, of course, manna, this bread that was supplied to them so that none of them had any need. They were satisfied. And Jesus goes up in the mountain, just like Moses would go up in the mountain to either intercede for them or complain <laughs> that he has these people. 
But God isn't exasperated, and neither is Jesus. Moses was exasperated, but Jesus isn't, even if he only sees a few loaves and some fish. The disciples were thinking, there's no way. How is it possible to feed these people? And it's as if Jesus was saying, what are you saying, I got short arms? You're saying I can't reach this? Are you saying there's a problem I can't meet? Well, yeah, God says that in the Old Testament. You're right. Who do you think I am? I'm not a dude. I'm not just a guy. And so he breaks the bread and breaks the fish to demonstrate that he's creator of fish, he's creator of bread, he's the source of manna, and he's always been the one that provides his people with rest and satisfaction. He describes them as sheep that don't have a shepherd. And by going to the shore, he's saying, I'm the shepherd they need. Well, who's the shepherd they need? Psalm 23. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. And Jesus is saying, these people need a shepherd. Let's go, because I'm him. So we see that he's communicating once again to the disciples, you don't understand who I am. You misunderstand me. You still think I'm a miracle worker or something. You still think I'm just a really good teacher, and you're misunderstanding me. I'm more than that, because if I'm not more than that, I can't really be the shepherd, can I? Because I can't meet the real needs that people have. I can't meet their ultimate need, their eternal need, their most profound need. Then I love this. If we read with careful eyes, we get to this episode of Jesus walking on the water. They're tormented. And when he sees them, he tells them, in the Greek, ego eimi, I am. Or translated here, it is I. I am. I'm the one. And we think about, why did he go to pass them by? That's, is he just messing with them? What is he doing? But this is a common uh, reality in the Old Testament when God goes to reveal himself to people. You think of uh, Exodus 33 on Mount Sinai. Uh, Moses wants to see his glory. And God passes by, he passes by Moses to reveal himself to him. First Kings 19, Elijah's put into that little cave and in the form of wind and fire. And you know, God, Yahweh passes by Elijah. But I want to put this one on the screen. And I think this one uh, probably is most relevant. It's Job 9. In Job 9, Job is describing how distant God is from man, how different God is from man, how much more powerful God is from man. And he says, God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Trampled the waves of the sea. He stepped on the waves of the sea. He walks on the waves of the sea. He treads upon the waves of the sea. Those are different translations, ways to translate it. And in verse 10 it says, God does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. And here we go on the screen, verse 11. Behold, he passes me by. And I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. How fitting is that? He passes the disciples by. Do they really see him? Mark says they didn't really see him. They didn't perceive who he was because they don't get the loaves. They don't get he's the great shepherd. They don't get that he's the fulfillment of Psalm 23. 
They don't get that he's the greater Moses, that he's the source of manna. They don't understand that. And so as Jesus reveals himself to them, he's revealing to them himself to them Old Testament style, pass you by. I'm going to pass you by and reveal myself to you. I don't think he was passing them by because he just wanted to see if they noticed. Right? He's, he's not a passive-aggressive spouse that waits for the other spouse to get home and see if they notice the change. No, no, he's not playing that game. He's just walking by and fulfilling these Old Testament epiphanies, these, or the, theophanies, right? These revelations of God where he would pass by to reveal to the person he's passing by who he is and what he's like. And the disciples miss it. When he walks by them, they think he's a ghost. When he divides up bread, they just think, wow, how did that happen? I don't know what they're thinking. But it's something else than what they should be thinking because their hearts are hardened. So they don't understand the loaves. And because they don't understand the loaves, they don't understand the walking on the water either. They're just astounded. Now they know it's not a ghost that eliminates that possibility, but they still don't know the real answer. They don't really get it yet. And these are the disciples that spend time with Jesus. They've heard everything that Jesus has had to teach um, up to this point. They've also been commissioned to be messengers for Jesus. They, I haven't just heard the message. They're deliverers of the message. These are people that are full-on committed and they don't get it. What don't they get? Do they get that Jesus can do miracles? Yes. Do they get that Jesus is the supplier of our ultimate need that only God can meet? No, that's what they don't get yet. And it was a hardened heart that blocked it. So when I look at this passage, I think, what is it that blocks our hearts from fully grasping who Jesus is and should be for us? Do some of us maybe chase after Jesus because we want a lower level comfort? We want relief from something that's temporary? And if he grants us that, we kind of back off in our pursuit? Or do we chase him for a greater need that needs to be met? An eternal issue that needs to be resolved. When we're confronted with our great insufficiency, then we will see our need for one who's all-sufficient. So Jesus uses human needs to point to a greater need. He goes from hunger, uses that to teach, and then he fulfills the hunger with a metaphor. These overflowing baskets to point, I have more than enough to meet all needs. When the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. There is no want that goes unfulfilled when the Lord is your shepherd. Now, that doesn't mean come to Jesus and all your worldly wants, your fleshly wants, your little desires, your wish upon a stars, you know, that birthday present you want, will be there wrapped with a red bow glittering because Jesus meets all your personal wants. It's not really what Psalm 23 verse 1 is promising. What Psalm 23 verse 1 is promising is you will lack want when he's your shepherd. 
Suddenly all those things that glitter, suddenly all those things that you thought would be a source of comfort, they're very dissatisfying to you. And you don't need them because your full satisfaction is found in Christ. He's the one that sets a table before your enemies in that valley of the shadow of death. So when we look at a passage like this, yes, it's amazing. He's walking on water. Yes, wow, that's incredible. Imagine you were there eating bread that 10 minutes ago literally didn't exist. (laughs) And he got bread from no grain, and he got fish from no prior fish. He just produced it. Would that have been amazing? Yeah, that's amazing. But we'll miss the point completely. The disciples were physically there, and they missed the point completely. They missed the point because their hearts were too hard to grasp why they really needed Jesus, what Jesus was really there to fulfill. And what Jesus was there to fulfill was our ultimate need, that ultimate bread that we want. You remember when he's at the well in John 4, and he tells the woman at the well, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. And she's like, hook me up, here's my, here's my Nalgene bottle. And he's like, no, it doesn't fit in a Nalgene bottle because I'm not talking about physical water. I'm using the water as an analogy for something deeper and eternal. And if you drink this water that I have to offer, you will never thirst again. So what dissatisfies you? What bothers you? What keeps you up at night? What is your greatest source of anxiety? What what makes you feel like a harassed sheep getting kicked around and there's no shepherd to protect you? What is it? Take it to Jesus. And that doesn't mean Jesus fixes the disease every single time or fixes the job problem every single time or snaps his finger and your marriage is completely better every single time. What it means is he moves your center of want from that thing being fixed to Jesus. So that whatever happens on these other things, you gain the satisfaction that cannot be robbed. Every other satisfaction can be robbed. Satisfaction in Christ cannot be robbed. He fixes that eternal want. So if this gets fixed, that would be great. Do I need it? Do I need it to be fixed? I don't need it to be fixed. What I need is this shepherd, a relationship with this shepherd, and he's a good shepherd. I love Mark's little detail. He sets them down on the green grass. I didn't even catch that until I just read it with you a few minutes ago. On the green grass. Why the green grass? Why is he describing that? I think he's just thinking of that shepherd scene. You know, Psalm 23 again, this, it, it's lush and it's uh, a provision. It's a field of rest and repose. Jesus grants that, not by necessarily fixing all the little problems, but by fixing the big problem and our having, as a result, no want. We lack for nothing because he's all satisfying. Let's pray. Father, we walk by and drive by many billboards. Every time we open our phone, there's apps with ads uh, prompting us to want something new, something else, the better this, the faster that, the smaller, lighter version of something we already have. Uh, We're a very dissatisfied culture. And we bop around from thing to thing trying to get that promotion and trying to see where we can squeeze extra income so that we can have more stuff and do more things. And then it turns around and becomes a stress. It becomes this huge albatross weighing us down. And then we lose sleep over it. And it's this vicious cycle of trying to fulfill little wants with 
temporary fixes. Lord, we are grateful that we have in you a shepherd that reminds us we don't have to chase little wants. That if you are our shepherd, leading us, guiding us, um, that we will have no ultimate desire besides you. And if our desire is you, it will be satisfied fully because you do not disappoint. So Lord, as we close in this song together, Father, we, we thank you for your son, the good shepherd, the perfect shepherd, the all-sufficient shepherd, and for how he takes care of the sheep in his fold. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.